You play ball like a girl! Go on, do one, kid. Jenny off the blocks. Welcome to this special edition of Jenny Off The Blocks, released as a Sunday Chops. Every now and again we get an interview, and it's too long for the whole podcast, but keep your ears peeled because there'll be more of these coming up. Up at the Edinburgh Fringe last week, I was fortunate enough to meet tennis legend Judy Murray, who is, as you will probably be aware... The former captain of Great Britain's Women's Fed Cup team. She's a coach. She's a ballroom dancer. She's written a brilliant autobiography called Knowing the Score. And she does have some fairly famous kids as well. So we chatted about how to get more girls into tennis, how to get more women into coaching, the challenges facing women in sport and tennis specifically in the women's game, and how to raise tennis pros. What to do if you're a parent and you want to get your kids playing elite sport or or just any sport and the kind of impact that you can have on your kids in terms of their sporting aspirations. It was recorded at the Newtown Theatre in Edinburgh in the dressing room upstairs while a show is going on. So you will get the occasional blast of action from that show, but it's fine. It just adds to the ambiance, really. Hope you enjoy. Judy, I wanted to talk to you about the work that you do in tennis coaching. You have been involved in tennis for a number of years now. What sort of change you've seen in the time that you've been involved and and particularly the change that you've seen in the women's game? Well, I've been coaching for about 26 years now and I started out as a volunteer at our local club. We moved back from Glasgow to Dunblane when just just before Andy was born, my kids are 15 months apart and I rejoined the tennis club that I was a member of when I was a, a kid and discovered that there were still no coaches there nobody really making anything happen for the junior players and and I started out as as a volunteer so when I started out in coaching I wasn't stepping on anybody's toes because there just weren't any coaches in the area and I think that the difference between now and then starting out is that there are many more people earning a living from coaching tennis than there there ever were before but I do feel that we have kind of a bit gone to the other extreme that there are many many more kids and adults having coaching but there are less playing the game there are less playing competitively I feel like we've become a like a nation of lesson takers that kids get programmed into activity from a young age and don't play as freely or naturally when I was young you used to go and spend every Saturday more or less down at the tennis courts and you'd go down with your packed lunch on your bike and you'd play everybody and anybody you'd make up your own scores your own handicap systems and you learned how to play the game by playing the game nowadays I think because there are many more coaches attached to clubs who make a living from obviously from giving lessons that there are many more lessons given and not enough free play and tennis in particular is a real thinking sport you you have to solve problems make decisions all the time every time you, you hit a ball because it's a combat sport and nowadays if I think that the things that are trendy for kids to play with tend to be sitting down in front of a screen and the only thing that gets exercise is your thumbs. So we have less coordinated kids coming into to sport. So I'd, I'd say that's possibly the biggest difference that I would say from when I started out in coaching. It's, it's much more professional now and many more people taking lessons but not enough people playing the game. And of course the fun of sport and the whole idea of sport is to play the game is to to learn how to compete at whatever level did it feel like quite a a lonely place for a woman back then does it now is it do you feel like you've seen a lot of change 
Uh, no, I don't feel I've seen a lot of change. I think there is more talk about it in the yes. last few years, yeah. people raising more awareness of it, yeah. but you don't make a change like that quickly. You need to make your sport attractive to women to come into even at entry-level coaching. Mm -hmm. And we, certainly in the UK, are not getting enough women considering it as a career path. And it, I think a lot of it is linked to if you can see it, you can be it. So if you saw a lot more female PE teachers, if you saw a lot more female tennis coaches, more young girls might consider it as a career but you don't if you don't see that many female tennis coaches making a successful living out of it you may never consider that as a potential career so this is why we need the career pathway so I think there's a lot of groundwork that needs to go in first but we need to make it a lot more welcoming and one of the things I think that we do need is women only coach qualifications uh, or coach development opportunities because often when I know that when I did my last coaching qualification which was called the Performance Coach Award and it was it was many years ago it was in 1994 to 95 it was a one year course it was a brand new course and it was the highest qualification that the LTA had at the time and there were 20 spaces on it and 18 went to men and two went to women and I was fortunate to get one of those two slots but I was told by one of the tutors on the first training week workshop that I went to that I was very lucky to be there and that a lot of men who had applied for it hadn't hadn't got places on it and that actually one of the men had registered a formal complaint and that he had said quote what on earth could she offer to performance tennis when she has two kids? And because this guy shared this with me, I was feeling terrible. I was thinking I shouldn't be here, not good enough, it shouldn't be. And then came to the common sense thing and said, I'm here, I'm here, I'm on it, and I have to make the most of it. But it was my first real brush with sexism mm -hmm. and understanding that the whole thing of being a woman and you should be at home with kids is that's what many guys think and certainly in a, and, 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 it, and it, it is it is still it is still the case so I don't think there has been very much change but I feel a change coming but we do all need to work together we need to make our, our presence felt we need to make our voices heard and we need to stick together because together we can make a lot more noise than people trying to fight their own individual battles in their own locations so big believer in bringing people together which is really why I, I created the She Rallies program program for the LTA which we launched in February and it had three strands to it. Uh, the first was to create a women only conference which we did in Birmingham, a one day conference. We had seven female speakers, really inspirational female speakers telling their their stories or their areas of expertise as it relates to women sport or women in sport. And then we appointed 26 part-time ambassadors, all women, across the eight tennis regions of the UK and I trained them up over a, a weekend uh, to deliver four different topics and so this is for all girl and all women activity. Part of it is driven towards increasing participation and improving re retention because I believe that if we had more female coaches we would retain more girls in sport particularly when they're going through the high school years because women much better understand how girls tick and the world in which they operate so they know much better how to communicate with them what sort of content the importance of the social side the importance of praise and making them feel good about themselves so big believer in the female coach workforce so 
the, the two things go together. So it's improvement in participation, increase in re- retention and building a bigger and stronger female workforce. So these 26 ambassadors deliver any combination of these four topics across the 12-month period in their regions. So they basically creating their own army. So the 26 ambassadors are my army, and then they create their own armies. So it can be mums, parents, teachers, students, youth leaders, club members, because we have to recognise that we will not quickly, significantly increase the number of female coaches by pushing them through formal qualifications. We have to get them in, give them a little bit of training, let them have a little go at it, work alongside another coach, and you slowly nurture them and build the confidence and the interest and the passion to help them perhaps to go on and do a qualification. And the third prong of it was to help the male coaches because we have just over 80% of our coaches, tennis coaches, are men. So if we can help them to understand better how to work more effectively with girls in terms of the way that they communicate, the way that they create content, the way that they make their presence felt, etc., then we can help them to improve the, the attraction and retention of, of girls in sport as well. So it's been so successful in those first six months that the LTA have committed to adding another 30 ambassadors. So by the end of this year, we'll have 56, yeah. It took me about four years to persuade them that we needed to have a female-specific strand of our development strategy. Now that we've got it, we're up and running, you can see the effect immediately. And now there's been increased investment, which is fantastic. It's sort of impossible not to mention that you are, of course, the, the mother of two tennis players who have been ranked world number one in their respective events Jamie in the mixed doubles and yeah. and of course Andy in the in the men's singles and you actually coached them when they were young during the Olympics last year a woman had just won one of the swimming races and I think an American commentator turned and pointed out her husband and said something like, that's the man to whom she owes everything. And I just wondered, do you feel like you get the credit you deserve for being a, a female coach? I think you're you're very much in a minority, whatever sport you, you work in, uh, as a female coach. And I think that one of the biggest eye-openers for me when I became the Fed Cup captain, which is the British women's team, was that when I started to travel with some of our women players on the WTA tour, that the bulk of the coaches, even on the women's tour, are, are men. There's hardly any female coaches around, so it, it didn't take me long to understand that there really isn't a career pathway for women. Obviously, the life of being a, a touring coach doesn't always suit women if they are the ones who are looking after a family, which is, is the way that tradition mm-hmm. uh, has it. And taking a big career break like that and then coming back, it is, it's not so easy to do the 30 weeks a year on the road if you're looking after a family as well. I think that when Andy took on Amelie Moresmo as his coach a few years ago, and it caused a huge amount of interest, a lot of surprise in some quarters. But for him, it, he spoke out very clearly about why she was the right person for him at that stage of his career and that it was nothing to do with gender. It was entirely to do with personality, fit, skill set and experience. And that created a, a lot of talking point in the media. And as a result of that, it raised the profile of female coaches. It, it raised this whole thing about why shouldn't women work at the top of any sport. There is no reason why they shouldn't. But it also led to quite a few of the top women players taking on ex-women players in coaching or consultancy type 
roles. So that had a big effect, but you need something that big to really draw attention to it. But I think that this summer we've had a great summer of success in women's sport, whether that was Joanna Conta making the semis at Wimbledon or whether it was the England women's cricket, the Lionesses, the hockey ladies uh, last year in, in Rio. There's a huge buzz, I think, a huge groundswell around women in sport. And it is the time to for us all to really work together and take advantage of that, really raise the profile in order to get more women and girls taking up sport, getting involved in sport. And going back to Moresmo becoming Andy's coach and there being a lot of chat about that, Andy gets a lot of plaudits in the media for being something of a feminist. He pulls people up if he feels that they've not acknowledged the achievements of female players, for example. Is that something that you try to instil in them? It wasn't something I went out of my way to do. I mean, we're all products of our environment. They are used to me being around. I work hard I've always worked hard and I think that sets a good example to your kids that I'm still out there working really hard for my sport I still love my sport and every guy's got a mum I'm very proud of the of them that they enjoy watching women's tennis they enjoy watching men's tennis they completely study their sport and it's not just the men's side of the game so if you ask them a question about any of the female players Andy in particular will he could tell you all sorts of things about the women players but very few of the male players I would imagine would be able to do that but he is uh, such a student of the game but, but it, it helps enormously when a, a world famous name in male sport speaks out about female sport and female coaches it's enormous because it's hard to get that kind of media attention when women speak out about it but like I said before I I do feel there is a bit of a change coming I, I really do, so fingers crossed. Yeah, I think we're all very, very hopeful for that. There is, in tennis, there's a bit of a reputation compared to other sports, perhaps. It's, it's a bit of a glamorous sport with some of the female players. There's a lot of sort of like hair and makeup and, and whatnot. Do you think that perception is helpful or is it a hindrance in terms of getting women interested in tennis and playing the game? I think that tennis has been very fortunate compared to other sports on the women's side for many years now. I mean, it all started off with Billie Jean King many years ago in the 1970s, you know, fighting for a a women-only tour and more equality. And I think tennis now is one of the most even sports in terms of gender equality, in terms of prize money, endorsements, exposure. There's a lot of women's tennis on the television and it is that whole thing. If you can see it, you you can be it. There are a lot of women fans who watch tennis and not just women's tennis. 51% of tennis fans are women. So more women actually watch tennis than, than men do. So I think tennis is in a good position compared to most other sports. We're also very fortunate to have had three of the most marketable and recognisable sports women in the Williams sisters and Maria Sharapova. And they have huge exposure because they represent big brands, because they get the cover story on major women's magazines and major sports magazines. And that is great for the exposure of of tennis. And that is the way that the world works now. And I do feel that more sports need to encourage their stars or potential stars to work harder perhaps at marketing themselves in terms of creating a bigger profile in order to attract more women to wanting to know more about them 
which would hopefully then lead to them watching that sport and following them more. And I've always felt that instead of being preoccupied with how many column inches we get in the back pages of the newspaper, we should be targeting more women's magazines and building profile that way. So I think that the sports stars who are photographed in their whether it's their athletics gear or their tennis gear or their whatever, and you see them at work and you see the focus and you see the you know, the muscle definition, the work that they go in, the, the incredible bodies that they have, what they put themselves through for their sport. And then you see them, whether it's talking about what, what I'm following in fashion or what music, what music I'm listening to, how I style my hair or colour my hair or whatever. For me, I feel like these are the things that it will always be largely women who will watch women's sport so if you can create more of the personality and the profile around more sports stars to engage the public more with them then you have more chance of engaging them in your sport the reason i ask is because of the the thing you mentioned earlier i think it's statistically the majority of girls who sort of fall out of sport is around the age of 14 and one of the reasons cited for that is because it's it's deemed as unfeminine for example and so the idea that in tennis there's this like glamorous perception of, of the female players so is that something that brings more women in because it's being shown to them as not being like a, a masculine thing or I think nowadays used to be between 14 and 16 that you lost a lot of girls in sport it's much younger now it's starting around 11 and 12 and this is because the way that the world is, young girls are much more influenced than they ever were before by fashion, makeup, image. And so all of these things are, are, are starting younger. And so our job with sport is to create an image where the sport itself is fun, enjoyable, but also that the people that are doing it, you can see that they're real people. They like the same things as other girls do. Yeah, yeah I, th I think that's really important. I've tried to make that point um, a few times and sometimes been taken a little bit out of context. I think when I started out as Fed Cup captain, most tennis fans had no idea what the Fed Cup was or who played in the Fed Cup teams. And no journalists came to watch us in the zone that we played at. So it was like playing a club match in Israel with 16 other countries there and nobody was showing even any interest and what I realised was well we're not going to get back pages so we make sure that we've got the team photo in our tracksuits we've got the team photo in our team dresses we do all the social media we do some blogs and we show what we're doing behind the scenes in our club room we're playing darts or we're playing playing Pictionary we're playing and it's all about the team and fun and, and we actually created a huge social media buzz around what we were doing. And actually the LTA's Twitter account went up from 18,000 to 30,000 across the four days that we were doing Fed Cup because of the, th the type of things we were posting that people wanted to, they wanted to see. You wouldn't read about it anywhere else. So I, I just think we have, to, we have to work harder with the athletes and their agents. So between the sport, the athlete and the agent, for them to understand more the life and business of being a professional athlete is actually about there's a lot about marketing themselves in order to market the game. You have two programmes which are designed to bring girls and women into tennis and coaching and creating that pathway. She Rallies, we've talked about already. The other one is Miss Hits, and that's for younger girls. Yeah, Miss Hits, again, it, it was born out of my Fed Cup time that I became the Fed Cup captain at the end of 2011. And after we'd done our first Fed Cup campaign in early 2012, I started looking at how do we win 
in this Fed Cup in years to come. And really what you need is a top five player to lead your team. And you probably need one double specialist and your backup singles player probably to be around 20 or 20 or better. And we were a long way from that at that time. Now... We're a little bit closer to it because we have Conta is actually inside the top five now. Heather Watson could be a top 20, 30 player. Uh, she's slipped down a bit, but she can play to that level. And we should really start to invest in a doubles team as well. But when you have a top five player like Conta, then anything is possible. But I started to look at the juniors that were coming through on the international scene realised that there wasn't very many of them, very, very small numbers, some good ones, but very small numbers for a Grand Slam nation. For me, it wasn't acceptable. And when I looked back at the number of girls coming into the game, I discovered there were four times as many boys playing as girls at entry level. And I thought, actually, that's where our problems start, because if you start with a small pool, that year on year, as they drop out, and certainly as kids start to compete, only very few will get to a good competitive level. But if you start with, I don't know, a dozen under-12s that are your best ones in GB, by the time you get to under-14, you've probably got six to eight left. And by the time you get to under-16, you've got four to six left. By the time you get to 18, you're lucky if you've got two left. So for me, it was all about the numbers. And when I looked at the offering uh, at entry level for, as it related to girls, our sport is too difficult. If kids are not coordinated, it's, it's a difficult sport to play. Uh, it's not fun enough, it's, it's too serious. Often kids were saying, I don't like tennis because I get cold or wet. So they're playing outside, they're standing around a lot because when you're little, you pick the ball up out the fence more than you actually hit it. It's not like great fun. And But the huge one was, I don't like tennis because I don't like the boys. So this whole mixed group, yeah. at, at you know, if your first experience is a mixed group and boys, little boys are more robust, more noisy, more physical, more competitive than girls. If little girls are standing there... They, and they're not joining, they're, they're intimidated often by the mixed group. And one of the other things that came out of it was, I didn't like tennis because I didn't like the coach. And this was usually when it was a male coach, usually inexperienced. It's often the most inexperienced ones who get put with the youngest kids. And for young male coaches, because we have very few young female coaches, it's for a little girl, it's like a strange guy that you don't know. And boys are much easier because they relate to boys because they are boys. So this, again, all fits in with the need for more female coaches, more female PE teachers, because little girls are much more used to mum being the, the kind of one who's around at, at most at that time. And first teachers in school are usually women as well. So there was quite a lot of learnings from that about the things that we're putting girls on. Off. But then when I looked at all the things that little girls liked that are taking them away from sport, dancing, music, huge thing, physical activity, yes, but, you know, it's, it's, it's not sport. Glittery things, playing with their friends, awesome. yeah, cuddly toys, blah, 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 pinks and purples. Anyway, I tried to wrap all the things that they like around the skill building activities but making the skill building activities fun using equipment that's brightly coloured slow moving so you build the success but the main thing really was to make an all girl group so they have a group of friends to move into mini tennis from from miss hits with a group of pals better coordination skills and an understanding of what the tennis shots are about through the miss hits characters because there's six girls international girl band 
who represented tennis strokes. So it's like Faith Forehand, Bella Backhand, Valentina Volley, Sasha Smash, Selena Serve and Alejandra Ace. So you do a character each week. So they learn about our sport through the character. So Faith Forehand, for example, she has red hair and freckles. She's 14 years old. She comes from Edinburgh. Her favourite comp- tennis competition is Wimbledon. Does anybody know what Wimbledon is? No, not unless if they don't come from a tennis family, they won't. Well, it's the biggest tennis competition in the world, and it's played on grass courts. So it's a little bit like playing in your back garden. So you're selling them your sport in a very gentle, child-friendly way. We launched it about three years ago. We've got over 400 coaches, I think, now delivering it across the UK. And we've just launched an online course because we had many people in other countries asking to be able to do it. We've got equipment bags that go with the online course and we do coach workshops across the UK. So we've got Ireland, Poland, Dubai, USA, Australia, New Zealand. I mean, we're really just starting out with the overseas thing because the online course just launched in March. But that's what I'm trying to do to a product that is, makes our sport more fun and stimulating both to kids but also to women who might consider getting involved in delivering a very simple, non-technical product that doesn't require a qualification just an enthusiasm and a desire to work with children it's amazing you're doing you're obviously really really active in promoting women's sport at the moment which is it's fantastic that you're using your your position to do that i'm quite interested in the idea of the role of parents in sport as well if you have children who are competing at, at a higher level when they're young how do you balance education, fun time and sport? Yeah, I think it you know that that is a challenge getting that the balance of education and social and sport if you're sort of dedicated to towards a sport, but it is really important to have that. And I think we we need to do more parent support, parent advice, parent education, probably across all sports. I know in our sport we don't do it well enough. And in an individual sport, the onus will always be on the parents to make things happen for their kids. If your child goes into a team sport, it is probable the structure is in place, the training is there, the, the kit is there, the fixture list is there, the transport to the matches is often there as well. But in an individual sport, the parent has to make it all happen. They have to book the lessons, get them to the lessons, pay for the lessons, enter them in the tournaments, take them to the tournaments, etc., etc. And it can become very expensive and it can become very time-consuming. I also think this is another reason why we don't have so many kids competing in tennis is partly the cost and partly the, the time that it takes and the, the sort of commitment that it, that it needs, whereas with a team sport you'd get in the team bus and off you'd go and, and, and do it. Getting the balance right can be difficult. For me, I always felt that shouldn't get caught up in the volume you know often you parents will listen to other parents and go oh my so-and-so is getting three individual lessons a week and then other parents are thinking oh god we should be doing that as well and it's not it's not a one-size-fits-all everybody's different and uh, it's more about the quality of what you do rather than the volume of what you do but it can be very challenging to juggle that whole balance of family life mm-hmm. a, a child who is becoming dedicated to one particular sport and the education and I think it's why I'm a big believer in investing in coaches that if we had more really world-class coaches and you can be a world-class coach of 10 year olds world-class coach doesn't mean that you're working on the tour if we had 
more coaches to advise the parents and help them to plan better to get that balance right because at the end of the day the kids need to be able to have fun they have to be able to switch off from the tennis they have to have an education because very few children will ever go on to make a living out of being a tennis player hardly any hardly any will get to the top 100 and that's really what you need so you, ha you have to be realistic about everything as well but isn't there's no simple solution to getting that balance right I think all I would say is we need to support parents a lot better so they understand what the journey is all about at different stages of the, of the journey um, so that they can help their kids more because the parents will always be the biggest influence on their children so the more you can help them to get it right. That links into a, one of the last questions I had which is about in your book you write about how your parents are really, really tennis mad and your dad was a professional footballer or, or the equivalent thereof. What kind of impact do you think parental influence has? To what extent do you take the interest in sport from your parents, do you think? Well, I, I mean, I definitely did. Yeah, my, my parents were both very, very sporty. Tennis, badminton, my, my dad obviously was a footballer. I don't remember him as a footballer because that was before I was born. But without question, the, the way they played with me and my brothers at home, whether that was badminton over the washing line, French cricket in the garden, the, the, the football goals that we had at the, at the back of the house, playing with us down at the tennis court. They were always playing actively with us, and as a result, we developed really good hand-eye and foot-eye coordination skills. My, my brother next to me is a golf pro. So parents can play a huge role in helping their kids to develop those coordination skills that, that underpin any sport just simply by playing actively with them. But nowadays, more parents work, you know, where both parents work, so they have more time, less money, and they're often paying other people to play with their kids when actually all of these skills can be delivered at home in a fun way. And you just create these fun games that do the teaching for you. It's, you don't have to be teaching your child. I mean, I learned that from my kids. They don't want to listen to you. They want to play with you. So don't try and teach them. Just try and create the game or the fun thing that will do the teaching for you. So, for example, piñata, you know that children's party game? Sure. Well, I make piñatas out of the, the co-op poly bag, thin ones, you know, rubbish ones, mm -hmm. and ripped up newspaper, sh shreds of newspaper and wrapped sweets. Tie a knot in it, tie it to the end of my tennis racket and hold it up high enough that they have to run swing above their head and smack it and unless they smack it pretty hard pretty often it won't break and the sweets won't fall out so they learn the action that you need for an overhead or a serve without That's you teaching funny. them the sweets there yeah exactly you know there's a there's a reward at the end yeah. of it it's good fun and actually instead of me saying well you need to hold the racket like this and you need to point with the left hand and you take your right arm back and you have to tuck your elbow in or whatever it is you don't even do any of that you just go hit that and you hold it so high that they have to reach up yeah. and swag it you're going to have to hit it harder or the sweets won't come out so they go faster with the arm and that is what the action is and it's for me that's what it's always been about find the game that will do the teaching for you and then kids learn without even realizing that is very clever indeed yeah kids respond well to to sweets in my in my limited experience uh, so we've got the u.s open is about to start have you got any hot tips on who we should be looking out for in the u.s open um you know it's a tricky one on the women's side i mean i think it's an, a nice problem to have in that i noticed that sharapova has been given a wild card yes. into the main draw 
<laughs> she hasn't played very much since she came back. She's she's had quite a few injuries, but she will. She's box office. You know that will bring crowds in. People will want to see her, and she's such a great competitor. You can never never write her off. But in the absence of Serena Williams, there's really probably any one of about twenty women who could win that title. It's very very open. I think Muguruza, who won in Wimbledon, thinks she has a chance if if she's playing well. Simona Halep has a chance. Joanna Conta has a chance, of course. I think there's a number of them, and, and that makes it interesting. I think Wimbledon this year on the women's side was very interesting because nobody really knew what was going to happen. It was great British interest because of the success of, of Conta as well. So, yeah, I think it's, um, I think it's, it's quite open. I mean, there's a, a good young... Um, American player who started to come through called Cece Bellis. She's young, like 18 or so. I think she's worth sort of keeping an eye on. She's not going to win it, I don't think, at this stage, but she's, she's quite... I like watching the young ones coming through and, and seeing maybe where she is in sort of another two or three years' time, but she, she could be a contender a little bit further down the line, I think. Thanks so much, Judy. Um, I, I will just say that that coach who complained... Back in the day, when you got one of the one of the places on the course, I bet he feels pretty silly now. <laughs> so, uh, thank you ever so much for joining us, Julie. It's been an absolute joy to talk to you. Uh, thank you. That's all from my interview with Judy Murray. We have got more brilliant interviews coming up, so keep your ears peeled for more Sunday chops. Claire Baldin coming pretty soon, so that's pretty cool. If you liked this, you might be interested in knowing that we cover women's sport every week on the Standard Issue pod scene. And we cover roundups of women's sport, issues, interviews with awesome people like Judy. And you can hear that every week on the Standard Issue pod scene. Tell all your mates. And if you want to tell me something, you can tweet me at InspiraGen. Thanks for listening. <laughs>